0: As the mainstream success and growth of the Final Fantasy franchise expanded, more and more pressure began to set on Uematsu's shoulders. When he began composing for Final Fantasy X, he was joined by Masashi Hamauzu and Junya Nakano, who would each assist and make their own contributions to the soundtrack's eventual 91 songs. Uematsu would still do the lion's share, however, and would ultimately compose 51 of them. The trio had been selected as it was decided that their musical styles meshed in a way that allowed them to work together. Uematsu has always been vocal about his love of collaboration and was happy to incorporate new creative input from his colleagues, who had been composing games at Square for several years by this point. As with many of his works, Uematsu cites his favourite musicians from when he was growing up as inspirations for his work on Final Fantasy X, such as Paul McCartney and Elton John. Strangely, One of Final Fantasy X's marquee tracks, To Zanarkind, was actually composed long before he'd started work on composing the game in earnest. Originally written as a gift to a friend who played the flute, Uematsu deemed it too gloomy, and it was only when the pressure was on for him to supply a track for the score that he submitted it for the game. It's my personal favourite from the soundtrack, and while I can understand his description of the song as gloomy, it perfectly fits the melancholy themes that run through the game. traditional Final Fantasy style, the tenth numbered game in the series is a tale of epic adventure, where the themes of tragedy, love, family and loss are all portrayed in a grandiose style. It features an actual apocalypse in the form of sin, along with a myriad of plot twists that are set amidst actual dreamscapes, and forces both the characters and the player to consider what may or may not be reality. I'll be honest, I have not finished Final Fantasy X, I enjoyed a great deal of the game's mechanics, but found significant characters to be tiresome. Ah, okay, one character. The game's protagonist, Titus. This was the first game in the series to have voice talent, and while this may have made it more cinematic, I could not stand listening to the English voice acting, for Titus especially. But that's not the audio that we're here to talk about, so I'm just going to get on with it even though I can already hear his psychotic fake laughter in my head right now. With Apocalypse being one of the main themes of the game, it's unsurprising that there is quite an understated melancholic tinge to the score for Final Fantasy X. The main characters have to deal with some very heavy stuff, and one character's story arc literally involves being a human sacrifice. With all of that being said, there are of course some moments of jovial, silly fun that are as much a staple of the series as anything else. There's Chocobo music, there's ridiculous house or rock music to accompany the futuristic water polo game called Blitzball. And there's the calming island music in the form of the Besaid Island theme. So, would you guys say that you have a favourite track
1: by Matsu? See, this was a hard one, because I have a couple, actually. Okay, no, um, I, I have I had a very hard time choosing as well. So, of the most recent work, I guess uh, Besaid Island and Final Fantasy X. Okay, is, yeah. uh, Just because I like really chill music, and uh, Final Fantasy X, I think overall musically, I because it wasn't just Nobu that like composed for that one as well. It was like I think a bit of a collab instead. Okay. So I don't think it's just him. I think there's another couple of dudes. On that soundtrack as well, but it was a bit—it uh, was a cool departure. I think around that time, like that chill kind of popular kind of sound was going around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's coming. I—I I think like the actual tune itself. Like when you think about the story of Final Fantasy X and Titus is in a, What'd you is—is it Titus or Titus? T- I always went with Titus. Yeah. What about
0: you, Colin? Yeah, I always say Titus as well. Great. And then okay. I just cool. I remember him laughing, <laughs> and then I want to punch him.
1: Uh, so, yeah, when, like, Titus is kind of lost in this new kind of land. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to Besaid Island and it's all kind of just, like, upbeat and cheery.
0: Is Besaid, is that where you find Waka?
1: Yeah, I think so. Right, okay, yeah,
0: That. that's all coming back to me. Game in the Final Fantasy series marked the end of my love affair with the franchise and of the JRPG genre in general. Since then, it's taken a truly spectacular JRPG to grab my attention. Uematsu's work on the series also started to tail off after Final Fantasy X with the spin-off game not featuring any of his work and the sequel, Final Fantasy XI, featuring him as more of a contributor than a composer. In 2004... Uematsu officially parted ways with Square, claiming that he had reached the point in his career where he wanted to take more control over the work that he was doing. He did continue to freelance, however, supplying the main theme of Kiss Me Goodbye for Final Fantasy XII, but when Final Fantasy XIII released in 2010, it was the first mainline series title not to feature any of Uematsu's work. Still working as a freelancer... He was brought back in to compose the score for Square's ambitious Final Fantasy XIV MMORPG project. The game released to poor reviews and was famously rebooted within a couple of years to bring it in line with modern expectations. This included an entirely new score, written by Masayoshi Soken. His latest interaction with the franchise was to contribute to the latest game in the series, Final Fantasy XV, where he continued his role as a freelancer. The first half of the 2000s was a great period of upheaval for Square in general. Not only did Uematsu depart to take control over his own work, forming the production company of Smile Please, but the main figure behind the Final Fantasy series, Hironobu Sakaguchi, also departed to form his game development studio Mistwalker. Shortly after the departure of these two figureheads at Square, the company merged with their longtime rival, the Enix Corporation, to create Square Enix. This brought a lot of external talent into the same house, including the teams behind the Dragon Quest saga. Uematsu's Smile Please received their first contract almost straight away, as Square Enix asked him to take a live production of his own music all across the USA, after a one-off show in Los Angeles called Dear Friends Music of Final Fantasy sold out and met with huge critical success. This tour would be the first time that Uematsu would work with Arnie Roth, his now longtime collaborator and friend. At the tail end of a successful tour, the two men would return to LA with the concert More Friends. This concert featured performances from many of the singers that had been recorded for older games in the Final Fantasy series, including Emiko Shiratori singing Melodies of Life from Final Fantasy IX, a voiced version of Opera Maria and Draco from Final Fantasy VI, and a small set from Uematsu's prog rock Final Fantasy cover band, The Black Mages. They performed a couple of tracks, including Maybe I'm a Lion from Final Fantasy VIII, before joining with the choir and the orchestra to provide a breathtaking collaboration as they belted out One Winged Angel. Mages disbanded in 2010, and with Square Enix holding the license for all of the music and the name itself, it's unlikely that the music will ever receive the same reimagining again, except by passionate fans. Indeed, the internet is rife with cover versions and homages, which a quick YouTube search will reveal. A strange and unorthodox arrangement, the Black Mages never toured, and only ever played live shows at Final Fantasy concerts or to publicise their new albums, of which there are three. That's not to say Umatsu's music doesn't tour anymore. In 2007, Stockholm hosted the first ever Distant Worlds concert, a compilation of music from throughout Uematsu's work on Final Fantasy. The Distant Worlds tour has been an ever-evolving musical titan, travelling the globe and delighting fans everywhere. Every time the tour starts again... Uematsu and Arnie Roth will work to add new arrangements and decide the balance between the classics that the fans will want to hear and the new songs that will keep everything fresh. The tour has come to London on multiple occasions but I've never had the time or resources to be there. It's a definite bucket list item of mine to attend one of these concerts and hopefully one of them will come to Stockholm where I'm living at the moment before too long. Here's just a taste in the form of Don't Be Afraid the battle music from Final Fantasy VIII, as performed by the Royal Stockholm Philharmonic Orchestra at Distant Worlds. While Uematsu's music is undeniably popular amongst the fans of the games in which he has worked, he has also broken new ground recently, with the London Symphony Orchestra performing his works as part of the final symphony tour at the Barbican in 2013. This was the first ever instance of the London Symphony agreeing to perform music from any video game, a must-stand as an acknowledgement of the steps that the genre has taken towards not only mainstream acceptance, but broader cultural relevance in general. The official blog for the tour also claims that this concert was the first to receive a standing ovation from a Japanese crowd, with the cultural norms tending towards a more reserved or respectful audience. Umatsu definitely considers his work to have become more refined, even if he remains very modest when considering his own skills. At the first live performance of his compositions in 1989, he had little sway over what was performed, but nowadays he is in a position where he receives MIDI files as pitches from arrangers and tweaks them before giving his approval. I could go much more in-depth when describing the cultural impact of Uematsu's live shows, but given the trajectory of games music now, and how it fits into modern culture, I think the impact of his role in bringing game music to live venues is fairly self-evident. Even though he hasn't composed a Final Fantasy score for over a decade, he's still being called on by Square Enix to remaster and rearrange his old tracks, and crowds still respond with unprecedented levels of praise and appreciation, suggesting that either young people are going back to the old games of the 90s, or the music of these games has evolved and still holds a mass appeal. Either way, Uematsu's music seems to bridge the gap between old nerds like me, who are nostalgic for this music, and new listeners, who appreciate the music for what it is. Chapter 5. Old Friends, New Setting So with his newfound independence, Uematsu began by... working with Square Enix? While it is strange that he celebrated his freedom by arranging Final Fantasy concerts and freelancing for Square Enix, he also met up with his old friend and colleague, Hironobu Sakaguchi, and began working on a couple of JRPG projects at Mistwalker. The first project is a bit of a cult hit by the name of Blue Dragon, this game is a traditional JRPG with a very strong anime-like art style. As was to be expected, as its art was directed by Akira Toriyama, the art director for Dragon Ball Z. Fans of the anime genre will be familiar with the sharp black lines and bright colours, mixed with ridiculous haircuts and over-the-top voice acting. Of course, to match this aesthetic, Umatsu was let loose to write a score that went a little crazy, Where his work on Final Fantasy definitely skewed towards prog rock synthesizers and cheesy pop music, the score for Blue Dragon seems to lean right into this genre, as it is epitomised by the boss track
1: Eternity.
0: shackles were most definitely off. Miss Walker's bombastic new game was a collaboration with Microsoft, who desperately wanted an avenue into the elusive Japanese market that would help them to sell Xboxes. To that end, Blue Dragon was a game with traditional JRPG mechanics, but where games like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest pushed at the edges of what defined a JRPG, Blue Dragon attempted to bridge the gap between the long-established traditions of the genre and projecting an aesthetic that they hoped would speak to the Japanese and Western audiences alike. This push for recognition across the wider cultural expanse led to the track you just heard. Eternity was composed by Uematsu, with lyrics by Sakaguchi, and featuring the vocals of Deep Purple's Ian Gillen. Knowing what we do about Uematsu's inspirations, it's not surprising that when given the chance, he enlisted the support of a prog rock icon. I'm not actually especially keen on the song itself, but the fact that they were able to make it happen was something I recall being amazed by when I heard it back in 2007. Uematsu had collaborated with many vocal artists at this point, but at the risk of sounding ignorant, nobody who had the same sort of profile in the West had lent their voice to one of his games. As a young man who had little experience of Japanese pop culture beyond video games, It was definitely a new experience for me to hear a familiar voice in my game music. Despite the push towards the more dramatic and crazy style that Blue Dragon's score featured, Umatsu's ability to change tone on a whim are undoubtedly still present. His track Cave is a beautiful, soft piece of more traditional orchestral music, and the fact that Blue Dragon shipped across two discs for the Xbox 360 is a good indicator that he didn't compromise on quality when inserting his work into the game. If I'm being honest, I turned up late to the Blue Dragon party, and while I'm often tempted to go back and play the old Final Fantasy games of my youth, Blue Dragon doesn't hold the same appeal. I recall working in a game store at the time, looking at Blue Dragon with its anime styling and comparing it to the creepy and mysterious Bioshock, which came out on the same day. In picking Bioshock, I think I made the right choice, but while its sound design was impeccable, the score wasn't a touch on Blue Dragon. While the critics tend to agree that Blue Dragon's story, character design and mechanics were pretty mundane, the general opinion is that Umatsu's score is something worth going back to, even if the game might not be. One game that I do still get a hankering to return to is Miss Walker's follow-up game from 2008, Lost Odyssey. The other project in development since day one, this game was to run into its fair share of troubles during development, The problems were so profound that Miss Walker's partners Microsoft ended up bringing in an entire second studio in the form of Feel Plus who would handle the actual building of the game while the creative elements were left to Sakaguchi and the Miss Walker team including Uematsu. Lost Odyssey was a return to the more traditional JRPG aesthetic with a moody protagonist, a greater focus on story and a grander scale. Unsurprisingly, this is reflected in the score for the game with Uematsu showing some restraint in his use of synthesizers and returning to the use of piano, strings and woodwind instruments, interspersed with esoteric instruments, such as sitars and bamboo flutes. Where Blue Dragon had been a cartoon-like action-adventure, Lost Odyssey was set in the midst of an epic fantasy war, with the protagonist being a millennia-old immortal. The score segues quite fluidly between percussion-led military marches with an orchestral overlay that prevents the soundscape from becoming too repetitive, and the more sombre, introspective music that was designed to undercut the internal strife of the main character, came. A prime example of this duality can be found in the game's prologue, which begins and ends as a march, but also features the game's leitmotif as a softer component in the middle. After listening to this much of Uu Matsu's work, I can definitely identify the prologue from Lost Odyssey as one of his pieces, but I also feel like he has avoided becoming derivative by adding new instrumentation and blending it through the track. I have noted on several occasions that one of his biggest strengths is his ability to blend not only instruments, but entire genres of music together. Of course, it could all be down to my personal taste, But I feel like Lost Odyssey strikes the perfect balance between Uematsu's tastes. This could be due in part to the arrangement of the score being handled by Satoshi Henmi and Hiroyuki Nakayama, leaving Uematsu to focus solely on composing. The extra oversight of two experienced musical arrangers undoubtedly played a part in making sure that the score stayed fresh. One of the major plot points of Lost Odyssey was the main character's lost memories, which would eventually be uncovered as the player discovered them. This game's story was a definite improvement from Blue Dragon, but many criticised it for leaning too heavily on long-standing JRPG tropes and lazy writing. Written by Kiyoshi Shigematsu, the memory segments known as A Thousand Years of Dreams were universally praised, however. The emotional impact of uncovering the sorrows and joys of a thousand-year-old man remain the resounding memories of many fans, and of course, Umatsu was on hand to do his part in conveying the turmoil that Came goes through as he remembers more of his past. The track Parting Forever plays as the story of Kame's lost wife and daughter is recounted to the player. Devoid of gameplay, these short visual novels use text, sound effects and music to tell some of the most impactful stories that I've ever played in a JRPG. Here's a little bit of Parting Forever. With Miss Walker being the catalyst to reunite Sakaguchi and Uematsu, the pair continued to work together, while Uematsu focused on pushing his own record label, Dog Ear Records. This collaboration allowed him to put out multiple recordings of his own work, including the official soundtracks for Blue Dragon, Lost Odyssey, The Black Mage's third album, and his final work for Miss Walker, the soundtrack to The Last Story. Released exclusively on the Nintendo Wii in 2011, the last story represented an effort for the already phenomenally successful Wii console to release a major JRPG as its swan song. Miss Walker's last two games had been successes with Microsoft, but now Nintendo were the ones holding the reins. Where Microsoft had trusted Miss Walker to deliver what was needed, Sakaguchi grew frustrated as Nintendo instituted a more hands-on policy, With the international success of the Wii, this game was not designed to fit the Japanese market, and this was reflected across all aspects of the development. Things got off to a rocky start when Uematsu's first three submissions for the score were rejected, leading to a period of radio silence from the composer. The feedback was that this game was to be something new, as the combat was to unfold in real-time instead of the traditional turn-based system, This meant that the music had to fit with a more dynamic, open-ended style of gameplay. Sakaguchi grew fearful that his old friend would quit the project, but Uematsu was simply recalibrating, trying to bring the music more in line with what was being asked of him. When he made his next submission, he informed Sakaguchi that he would leave the project if these new pieces didn't work out. As it turns out, the studio was happy with his updated work, and Uematsu went on to finish the project, As Sakaguchi admits later, he had accidentally CC'd in the entire dev team when sending his response, leading to the team wordly asking if their composer was on the verge of quitting. When I went back to research the last story, the first thing I noticed is that the game looks rough. The Wii was never a graphical powerhouse, but it's quite jarring to go back to Lost Odyssey with its admittedly quite drab colour palette in 2008, I compare it to the jaggy edges and cliché character designs of a game that came out almost three years later. The second thing you notice is that the score is decidedly more cinematic. While it retains its unique umatsu flavour, it is distinctly different in its use of electric guitar and orchestral elements. This was a decision that was made to reflect the more engaged and active role that the player would take on during the game, compared to the waiting that tended to accompany JRPGs at the time. The main theme puts me in mind of a Hollywood movie, where certain chord progression seems to be present in all of the soundtracks. There is also a track called Bout of Arena Battle Banquet, which would feel at home in any fantasy adventure movie. As well as the music and character design leaning decidedly Western, if you disregard the ridiculous JRPG hair, the voice actors for the Western version of the game are using a mixture of English accents. This may be due to the primary Western market being Europe, with the North American release not even being handled by Nintendo in the end. The breaks from tradition being made here were very much in line with Miss Walker's mission statement, which had increasingly tailored their games to be more American-friendly. As I mentioned previously though, Uematsu was still able to make the score his own, and his well-established themes can be found throughout the game. There are some tracks that conjure an image for long-time players of his games, and after 30 seconds of listening to one of his tracks, it's normally very easy to tell what the player is doing while it plays, The track Fallen Nobles immediately puts me in mind of running in circles around a massive dungeon, trying to figure out puzzles and opening chests to find elixirs inside, maybe running into a random encounter every once in a while. So the feeling of creeping dread isn't completely undermined by the slightly uplifting major key switches. At the time of recording this, Uematsu has spent a lot of time since his departure from Square Enix with smaller scale projects, working as a freelancer, including work for Nintendo in the form of the Super Smash Brothers theme tune. When I look through the list of games he has worked on, there are a lot of games in there that I've never heard of. Most of his credits are for single tracks or for part of a collaborative effort. He's also touted as being on the board for the remake of Final Fantasy 7, which means that even if the new game is crap, I can look forward to an entire orchestral score for my favourite game of all time. He's also confirmed as being on board for a game called Project Phoenix, which is Japan's first ever kickstarted funded game, and he joins Sakaguchi as part of the development team. I'm unsure as to what the outcome will be, though. It seems fitting that Sakaguchi and Uematsu repeatedly gravitate towards each other, The legacy that they have helped to create has been fundamental to the JRP genre, and to video games in general. In the 2010 Awata Ass article I referenced in episode 2, the two describe a game of catch between them, where Sakaguchi throws a broad concept at Uematsu, who gives his take on it and throws it back. The two will continue to develop the music by throwing it back and forth until they're both happy with it. The decades of collaboration have undoubtedly grown a mutual respect, and with it comes the trust that Sakaguchi has for Uematsu to deliver exactly what is needed, while Uematsu can trust Sakaguchi to support his work in front of other executives. The designer even alludes to having considered adjusting the broader game just to fit the melodies that the composer provided him with, which shows just how much respect the men have for each other. And that brings us up to date with the career of arguably the most respected and successful games composer of all time. When setting out to record the story of Nubo Umatsu, I truly underestimated the depth and scope of the work that he has undertaken. Even now, I am aware that there are smaller, independent games that I haven't even mentioned, nor have I spoken about his work in movies and anime. A lot of research has gone into making this series and I'd urge you to find some of the articles I've referenced in the making of the show. Nowadays, Umatsu lives in Tokyo with his wife and his pet Beagle. He still performs his own compositions with a group called the Earthbound Papas and still enjoys pro wrestling. The watching of pro wrestling, I assume. In recent news, he has taken time away from his work to relax due to exhaustion and illness. He says that he just needs a little time and that the travel has been taking out of him this year. Hopefully he will be recovered and back to making music before too long. Thanks again for listening, and I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast. As always, I love to hear from listeners and would appreciate any feedback that you might have. My aim is always to entertain as well as educating people about one of my favourite things in the world, the wonderful music of video games. The home of the show is always rogester.co.uk slash that sounds like fun, where I'll add the show notes and links to the many, many interesting articles and videos that help me put this all together. You can always find me on Facebook and Instagram at That Sounds Like Fun. In true Final Fantasy tradition, I will end this podcast with the music that I used at the beginning. Here's a modern orchestral version of the famous Prelude.